How's it going, Odd People? You are listening to the Odd People Podcast, and I am your host, Matt the Cat. Today is episode number 64, and this is part two of my interview with Vincent DeSanti, creator of Never Hike Alone. I hope you enjoy the show. at the 20 somebody recognized my talent and was like yeah here you go kid i wonder how i would you know i think about it well ooh, i wonder if i would have survived that right right i wonder if i would have been able to outlast that and, and keep up because i would have made a lot of mistakes that i kind of learned out of the view of everybody I, I right short of like burned sort of like the village a few <laughs> times and like um and rebuilt it before anyone else could see and you know i also think but then again like it's kind of funny we brought up sort of like the hell raising days of of you know my early years <laughs> yeah yeah i used i think about it now like wow imagine if they recognized that like i was just a creative little crazy person and they just gave right. me stuff to do i may have been the best student they ever had if they would have put a Possibly, camera in my yeah. hand <laughs> do you remember when chris and i took over the morning news <clears throat> uh i vaguely do yeah the chris and Vinny show we took over the morning announcements and we would do things where I would disappear or turn into a skeleton. And like, I do remember that. Oh, we would get, there were so many times where, when we were recording that show that they would just stop recording and be like, Vinny, you can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Rewind and then try it again. And there would be cuts in the morning announcements because we would try jokes out like it was Saturday Night Live. Oh, that's and awesome. And at the end of the year, me and Chris did that whole like 30 minute short film of the Chris and Vinny show where like he shows up and he's like shaving. Like, I'm like, where's Chris? And I do that. And he shows up and he's in a towel and he's like, what the hell, man? I'm not ready. And I'm like, oh, and then he's ready. And it was like, and we just sort of like made a mockery of it. And we had like technical yeah. difficulties and we played riders on the storm and like changed the, like we used like the camera effects to create like, Ooh, it's technical difficulties. And then it came yeah. back and everyone's like, what is wrong with this kid? Um, yeah imagine he, that he needs like, a creative outlet <laughs> but we didn't have you know editorial stations at you know at, in high school we didn't it wasn't until college that it's sort of like yeah. i found my passion and when i didn't have it i was really distracted and and hard to handle um yeah if, they, if did, sports, they did have so. they did have that class in uh west point high they did have yeah. a video a multimedia class or <laughs> but Whatever. they didn't have football they didn't have football no they didn't have football it would have um, been and, like you and like four other kids well i mean a good friend of mine brian gazdick who took that class huh? who ended up taking like the 3d modeling class mm -hmm. um he's now a visual effects supervisor in hollywood cool. i mean he's he just worked on morbius he did nice. tron um pirates of the caribbean uh flags of our fathers was like one of his first movies um let me see what else did he work. I, mean, I think I went so to a. I think I went to a concert with him, probably in high school because he was friends with Mikey Kaminsky. You remember yep. Mikey? Yeah. And Mikey played drums, and I played guitar, and I remember we hung out a lot. And uh, I remember mm -hmm. going to see. I think it was like three eleven, 
That like, sounds about right. This. And, you know, yep, that sounds about him and right. Mikey went together and like me and Chris and, uh, you know, a few other people went together and we were all oh, near yeah. each other at the concert. <laughs> yeah, dude. Um, yeah, I know Mikey Kaminsky is a good, good friend of mine from back home. We, we used to hang out all the time with Mike. It was like the four of us and we used to go to um, Bickford's. Yeah. And, and forever and and mikey would do it's a reverse breakfast restaurant yeah yeah we, would go, we called it dickford's because it's just yeah, too easy yeah and we would go to the, the parking lot over there because it was just the big malls and mikey would go like reverse as fast as he could and then pull the e-brake and do like spin 180s in the parking lot like yeah, sure, just, i mean <clears throat> what else was there to do where we grew up I mean, it there was, was just nothing like, else to do if they would have just handed us I mean, they did hand us cameras and what we ended up doing was making jackass movies. Yeah. Um, that became sort of the big thing. When we were, we were in college and in high school and we all had cars it was jackass had just come out. So we were all doing like stupid stunts and yeah, being a lot of idiot. stupid stuff with uh, shopping carriages. Yeah. Were you there for those? You ever see uh, that? I did a bunch of stuff with, you know, the guys I hung out with. <laughs> I don't know. Did you ever do, we did, I don't care. It's statue of limitations. Now the chariot, we called the chariots of fire. Is that when you hold one out, out out the window of a car and you yeah, drive into each I, other? Yeah, we did that too. Honestly, I want to, I, I just, I, I don't know. I, maybe I might be stepping over my boundary. I may have been the one who sort of like introduced that to <laughs> like the legend of that to the area because we started doing that. And then like yeah. Brian started showing other people, <laughs> like yeah. other people found out about it. So more, <clears throat> and Aunt, did you go to Ann and Hope and do it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the old Ann and Hope parking lot. It was, it was just a giant <laughs> vacant parking lot. Yeah giant big for the people at home Ann and hope was like uh joanne's fabric uh for new england there was like two there was a bunch of outlets out there it was a pretty yeah. popular brand at the time and um there's actually still, yeah they still have a, a location around in that parking lot but it's like they sell like drapery and curtains oh, and whatnot they came and back bed sheets yeah i gotta go back it's now it's a lowe's but yeah for, now it's a lowe's exactly i mean lowe's. a span of like seven eight years nothing was in that spot yeah. it was desolate and so yeah kids would go back there and mess around and you know race do donuts we and used to know- jump cars in the fucking dip behind like the usps thing where there was like a little jump there and so we would like literally <laughs> jump suvs like idiots yep. yeah. you know and to think of it it was kind of it was perfect timing because like you said it was, it was vacant and it was before you know there were cameras on every corner mm-hmm. of the world <laughs> before like smartphones were really a thing you ever so get chased out by these... the street sweeper you <laughs> would show up and he'd be like, like coming at us with the light on <laughs> and there was something about even though it was yellow because it was the light on top yeah. it felt like yeah, authority it was, oh no yeah 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 so we'd authority. like right away <laughs> guy sweeps the sweeps the parking lot it's gonna some guy that was probably us. stoned in the <laughs> street like, sweeper say, what are those kids doing <laughs> I know. We used to have a pile of them up on a tree. Like we created like a boneyard of them. <laughs> yeah. Like mangled. Mad yeah, mangled uh <laughs> shopping carriages. We went to uh Toys R Us, which was it was right yeah. since I think it was connected, wasn't it? No, I don't know if it was that close. Uh, Toys R Us was up. I don't know the if you could get it. Yeah. If you kept following yeah, Toys R no, no no Toys R Us was the other way. Um, but we we found like an old toilet in Toys R Us. The, the dumpster we like we're looking in the toys or us dumpster to see like if they throw out anything good thinking like there'd be cool toys in there yeah uh, but no it was a, a toilet so we put a toilet in a uh in a in a in a in a, in a carriage and then launched that thing 
And just, oh my God, that was great. I mean, it was, I wish we had, if we would have had the cameras we had today, I would have shot that in like 240 oh, frames wonderful. per second. I would have lit it up, the porcelain just shattering and blasting everywhere. And like <laughs> somebody hanging out the side of my Zuzu Trooper, just like pumping their Zuzu fists. Trooper, yeah, <laughs> that's just, awesome. We, yeah, we were, I mean, yeah, I guess I didn't like fully rehabilitate after middle school, but we no. had a lot of, uh, okay, one, nobody got way. hurt. Yeah. Nobody got hurt. We all had a lot of fun and it was, nobody was using those carriages anymore. Anna and Hope was long gone and they oh, yeah, left no. like, oh, like, I feel like a hundred of them. Yeah. There was an, uh, an unbelievable amount of mangled, you know, missing a wheel, all banged up. They, they, they were everywhere. Yeah, and you had your off. choice. You could do the metal ones, which had a little bit more weight. They rode better, but the plastic yeah. ones would fly higher. <laughs> <It rode> <laughs> Yeah, they had a little bit more surface to like a little bit more weight on the tire. So they right. would, because the, at one point, if you went fast <laughs> enough, the plastic ones would start floating. <laughs> it'd be like, oh, it'd yeah. be like air would pick up yeah, the plastic would, body. Yeah. They'd, they'd flex like, oh, a little bit more too. Yeah. But they <laughs> were, oh <laughs> we used to just play like heavy. We used to just play Metallica battery and just annihilate these things and just dude. And when yeah. it snowed, it was the donuts. Oh yeah. Um, donuts donuts that yeah, was we yeah i always had a front wheel drive car so i'd have to do the reverse donuts oh but that was good and you know rolling. right after high school i had me and a few other guys worked at that stop and shop that's not far from there mm -hmm. like the next you know lot over so that was always a good uh lunch just break get, yeah it was like you know what i'm just gonna go blow off some steam yeah we can go do some reverse donuts there you go and then that's and that's how you killed time out in a place where there's nothing to do Yep, nothing to do. <laughs> Either that or hang out in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I just I, I kept hanging out in the woods out here, but I just ended up shooting movies and make, and building. I mean, another part of that too was building a Jason costume. Yeah. Um, the other big part of Never Hike Alone was really um, was like, man, Jason's really getting weird looking. Like, yeah, it just seemed to be getting more. Again, it was more in like Jason is sort of a cartoon character type thing. And yeah. like his story is cartoonish. And so they treat it that way. And so it, it sort of like doesn't allow it to ever be serious. And so to go in and yeah. be like, no, if they like, if they designed him a certain way or if they thought about certain elements in designing him, like that was the other part of Never Hike Alone was creating a cool story for him, but also making him look how I thought if they were going to do a new Friday the 13th, like take influence from this design. Yeah. And hopefully maybe somebody from a studio saw that and goes like, oh, the fans are onto something. Like, yeah, we'll take this as an element or something like that. I thought of him in Never Hike Alone as authentically scary. Mm. Like I, you know, what, what was the uh, Friday the 13th when he's like in space or whatever? Jason X. Jason X. I remember seeing the mask and just being, you know, you just kind of look at it and go, is that really all that scary? Like that's. Mm. he's menacing and he's big and you know but it, it's yeah there was no grit to it you know am i, am I the, making sense but yeah, like no, it you makes know sense. Never, no, trust me like you're talking to the right person you know never hike alone that you see him and he's he's gritty and he's mm -hmm. dirty and he's aged you know, weathered yeah, worn, aged. Like, you don't want to run into him like you would not want to see that yeah, in reality it's, <laughs> but it's also simple you know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. not over the top. And that's, and that's sort of exactly. where I started to lose Friday the 13th is when it started to feel like a costume. It didn't feel like certain elements about him were, it was too bulky or it was right. too overdone. It was too stylized. It was yeah, like, a little too you know, 
Jason was always scary because the mask was scary. And then what was below the mask was always sort of like simple. And the simpler it was, the scarier it was. And the way it, and like the way it fit to his body, the way that, and and so like you look at part six and it's very, um, uh, you know, it fits CJ Graham's body. Like the car, he wears the costume. Well, the costume is shaped and tailored to him. So it fits yeah. in a proper fashion. There's not like extra flaps hanging out. There's it's, it's not ill fitting um, as much as you don't want to be like, well, Jason needs to be stylishly good. It's like, no, I mean, <laughs> like if Michael Myers was in a frigging triple quadruple XL, like pantsuit that like was like flopping around the whole time, <laughs> like you wouldn't find him very scary. Like if you yeah. look at the way that the suit fits Michael Myers or Jason or any, or Freddie, like, it's contoured to their body yeah, shape and the them. shapes yep. that they make. Um, a lot of what I learned about that was in animation because one of the first things they look at in animation when they're designing new characters is once they have sort of like a basic design, they look at the silhouette. Yeah. And so I started examining the silhouettes of all the Jasons. And I realized that like Jason went from like, not the first couple of like the first couple of Jasons you can kind of shove off to the side. Um, the Jason, when he puts the, the work shirt and pants on like very simple outline very simple silhouette and it isn't until you get to like part six he's part six it's still very simple part seven it's still it's starting to get more detailed but his outline is still well he's still got a great strong silhouette part eight strong silhouette part nine his silhouette starts to go away the coloring starts to change um he sort of takes on a different life part you know in, in jason x it's still it's the same it's not quite it's a little bit like he looks like a character does like costume designed, you know, yeah. parts. And, and there's so many differences, you know what I mean? Like he looks yeah. such a very specific way and something carries through in these films. All of a sudden he starts to look very different. Um, yeah, yeah, J- yeah. Freddie versus Jason, he looks very different. Um, the mask sort of, when you look at it and the way that he's built, he, he's given a dopey look. Um, he's meant mm-hmm. to be sympathetic, which is fine. but it just sort of became sort of cartoonish and then in the in the remake it was sort of like the -the over-the-top michael bay of it all like he's got the giant trench coat and the big giant machete and it just felt like yeah over it was like overdone and went too far and i was like oh they're they're on the right and like that was the frustrating thing for 2009 for me was that they were on the right track but it felt like they're the final decisions weren't being made by somebody who really understood the character and like Mm. what would really make it cool and what would really yeah. make it um, scary is if it was like, if it was a little bit more grounded and it was in a different way. So yeah, that's yeah, where yeah. Never Heck Alone really came from. was like, I think that there's a different formula to make Jason scary than the obvious thing of what you're doing. You're going down the obvious <clears throat> yeah. route. Like you're saying that Friday the 13th is and only is sex, drugs, and kills. And that Jason <laughs> is like this like superior woodsman with all these tools and all these things. And it was sort of like, a little too much it was a little yeah. too overthought rather than staying simplistic and 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 that's what we focus on in never hike alone and like even as yeah. complex as our stories are in certain ways like the simple story is that jason is just trying to hide yeah that's it. some somebody's near him somebody's near and him he doesn't want that information and getting out <laughs> yeah and, and even then like if if mark hadn't taken his photo if andrew if kyle had not wandered into his attic Right, These right, are characters right. that may have walked into Camp Crystal Lake and walked back out and not had anything happen to them. Yeah. Jason being actively aware that Tommy is hunting him and staying away from him. Things like that. 
um, knowing that like, for me, the character of Jason had learned from the first eight films that, yeah, yeah. Ooh, maybe, maybe I need to take a rest. Maybe I need to take a different approach than like, Oh, I wake up. I just start killing everything. It's yeah. like, why am I running out? Like, that's not my mission. Yeah, my mission is to protect my mom. My mission is to keep people away from crystal Lake. So as long as they stay away from camp crystal Lake, this is our area. Now, this is where we yeah, the territory. Well, this territory is ours where we will, you will never get this back because you took it away from us. You took yeah, our yeah, lives yeah, away yeah. from us. So now anybody <laughs> who enters these woods will take those lives away from you. But if killing somebody is going to bring on an investigation, if evidence is left behind or something happens in which the cavalry is going to come and root me out and sort of um, put my existence at risk like I don't want to risk that because I know at that point they're going to put me back in the ground or I'm going to go back in the lake or something's going to yeah. happen so I'm going to stay quiet and sort of change my tune a little bit um, and that's sort of our Jason our Jason is the one that's hidden recluse um, and in our films we sort of try to lay down the groundwork for the hints of like he's trying to protect his mother and yeah. he's that's all he cares about and that's all he's there. And that in a certain point, like with the disappear music video, and it's also evident never hiked in the snow that there's this element of remorse of mm. that. He realizes that, yeah, maybe like in the eighties when these films were made, like Jason was a killing machine. He was going to kill everything, but like, you can't kill your demons that way. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you can, and, and in a sense, he realizes that it doesn't matter how many people he kills. It's almost like John Wick. It's like, how many people yeah. are going to kill before you feel like, <laughs> before you feel that, um, that resolution for the person you lost? Like any revenge movie you ever hear about, it's like yeah. killing somebody isn't going to, uh, Memento does that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he keeps having to come up with new boogeymen because no matter, like as soon as he reaches that point where he finds the person that he thinks and has deemed responsible for the murder of his wife, it doesn't fulfill that hole. Mm -hmm. And so- in a sense, I started to see that in Jason's story and the fact that like, yeah. there's this huge void that he's trying to fill by being an arbiter of the curse, but it's not filling that void. Yeah. So he's killing then, out of uh, out of utility to, of his, you know, <clears throat> to keep people out of the territory, not chase him down. Yeah. But he's uh, also just kind of mindlessly doing it. <laughs> yeah but so not I, so mindlessly I, doing it it's he's mm -hmm. conscious of the impact he's, he's starting to become conscious of the impact like when he kills mark <clears throat> hill he starts to realize that like he took the son of a young mother he was the son of a young he was the son of a mother like he's right. and, and in that sense that like that's when the curse steps in to comfort him and that's why his mother appears and there's sort of like put him at ease and to make him feel better that even though he did this horrible thing that his mother still loves him and that he's doing the right thing and this is what they need to do in order to preserve on and so the question that i asked with this series is like is jason just as cursed as everything else that's around him and are the people of this town cursed and what is a curse and how does a curse really sort of envelop a story and envelop characters and mm -hmm. For me, that's always been the interesting thing of Friday the 13th, because we asked those questions like, how does Jason keep coming back? Like, what's his point? Like, what's, you know, it's fun <laughs> to watch it, but at the same time, like, what's the resolution? Like, we have this yeah, story, yeah, but we yeah. don't have an ending. And Never Hike Alone wasn't necessarily there to discover the ending at first. But when Tom joined the project, it, it opened up a door 
that led towards with this piece with a Tom Matthews with a Tommy Jarvis that's legit I can tell the ending to Jason's story the way that Friday the 13th part six really did for me before they they made more of them and before I had watched the next ones I'd be like oh they did all that work in part six but then you get up in seven and it keeps getting up and how do we get back to that part six where we felt like we get that resolution like Tommy had done the research knew how to dispose of Jason and then we got a finale that gave us a resolution that was like Jason was defeated mm-hmm. and he was put back where he belongs. Right, right, right. And we're in, <laughs> he's back where he's belonged to people like it can rest. And a, a phrase that we kind of came up with in for the Never Hike Alone that's going to be a repetitive theme is that yeah. our curse never dies, mm-hmm. it only waits. Mm-hmm. And so it only waits for the next person <laughs> to come and break the curse and, and, and bring right. it back up. And so I think for our story, we're, we're going for that sort of resolution that part six had that um, yeah. not necessarily that they need to go out into the middle of the lake and, and drown Jason again, but yeah. that, <laughs> that obviously Tommy has learned from the past and being like that worked to sort of trap him, but it did not end him. It did not right. stop him from coming back years later and starting this all up again. And with Tommy, the cool part of his story is that like, he's sort of like a Bigfoot hunter and he's sort of become the town's crazy Ralph. And the fact that right. <laughs> he defeated Jason all those years ago. Yeah. Then Jason came back while he wasn't looking because he thought he did the job. And so now Jason came back in part seven, he came back and couldn't do anything about it, yeah. but Jason was defeated by somebody else. And then Jason ended up on a ship that floated to Manhattan um, somehow again, <laughs> you know, people will say what they want to say about these events and what happened, but you know, the police aren't going to be like, well, you know, when a supernatural entity came back from the dead and murdered seven people, like, they're going to yeah. spin something because how does a how does a sheriff go to the local news and the FBI and the governor and say, well, you know, we have this supernatural entity that walks around our town and murders people from time to time. Um, you may have heard yeah. him. His name is Jason Voorhees. Um, they're going to look at him like you're crazy. You know what I mean? Crazy. Get out so of here, buddy. there has yeah. to be another explanation for it. And right. that's sort of Rick's journey is sort of like he's never seen Jason in his life. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he got locked in the cell in part six. So he never saw Jason. He just saw the aftermath. And he, and from the last time he spoke to his boss, his boss was convinced Tommy was the one murdering people. Right. He shows up in part seven. Um, no one can explain where the monster is. They just said that someone in a hockey mask was doing it. Tommy can put yeah. a hockey mask on. Same thing in part eight. Like, we don't know what happened. No one can explain. They just say that this happened and people saw Jason. But like at the same time, like, Rick's always looking at Tommy. And then after this moment, Jason disappears. Yeah. Now Jason's gone. And every now and then, like in the disappear music video, people disappear. They wander into Camp Crystal Lake where they don't belong. They go missing and they're never found or heard from again. Just another lost hiker. Just another lost hiker. That's what Never Hike Alone was based on. Until I watched, uh, you ever see Wolf Creek? Uh, No. It's an Australian horror movie. Okay. Um, and it starts off the exact way my original script for Never Hike Alone start off, which was like every year, 10,000 people go missing in the woods without any explanation. Yeah. And people go missing all the time. And this is one of those <laughs> stories. And people <laughs> assume it's nature. And a lot of the times it is nature. I mean, Never Hike Alone is based on uh, the same story threads that uh, 127 hours in the Martian were built on. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's a, you know, human versus nature story. You know, in one instance, it's about a tale of survival, about a man who gets his arm stuck under a rock and what he'll do to survive right. to get out of there or die. Yeah. You know, another character who is stuck on Mars and using every piece of ingenuity that he can in order to get off Mars and get back home. Right. Um, and in Never Hike Alone, it's about a, a vlogger going into the woods and coming up against a monster. And in real life, that could be a bear, that could be a cougar, that could be any yeah. thing. It's like what, you know, the revenant, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it's a tale of survival. What will mm -hmm. you do to live? And as long as you stick to that theme and you treat that with respect, you can create a lot of really good tension and story off of that. And, and grounding Jason in that way of not making him anything more than, a, than an element of the forest sort of really works for Never Hike Alone. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, everything else we're doing is sort of like really for the nerds. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> okay, now we're going to finish the story. But at the same time, we're exploring Jason in these new movies as sort of this specter that haunts this town and how that, how that sort of like impacts the town. And so Never Hike in the Snow was about sort of like, okay, Jason is this element of the forest, but what happens when he gets what he wants or gets right. what he needs to do and, and how from 2000, basically like in, uh, in Friday the 13th, the, the theory, the series goes from 1979. Well, it starts in 1957, uh, but it goes from 1957 yeah. to um, 2001. <clears throat> by the time you get to the end of um, Jason takes Manhattan, if you actually like, it's like five, you know, part six takes place five years after part five, part right. seven takes five yeah. years after, or five or 10 years after part six. So like, even though it's still the eighties, when these movies were shot, they're supposed to be taking place in the nineties. And like, basically I think the last one is 2001. And so right. um, if you follow that timeline, you're looking at a span between 2001 and 2017 in which Jason is in the forest and no one can prove it. So right. what, Never Hike in the Snow is a story of, is one of those stories about when someone went missing yeah, and how Jason was able to get away with it. And that's why sometimes when people are like, well, there's no definitive ending to, to Never Hike in the Snow. And it's like, it is. You just have to watch yeah. it from Jason's point of view. The movie opens up with Jason. It's his movie. This is how right. Jason survived <laughs> getting caught. This is how he got away with it. And it took the elements of him having to track down someone who was very capable of getting away and almost did get away. Right. Mark Hill was 20 <laughs> yards from his car before yeah. Jason got him. And if he got away, whew, Jason was screwed because right. he was, right. he, he would have been screwed. Cause here comes um, everybody. <laughs> here comes everybody. He's going to say, there's a man with a, with a hockey mask out there. Now maybe yeah. now maybe Mark gets back and Jason's able to kind of get out and do all that stuff. But Jason's initial, you know, mode is I got to get this guy and kill him because he's seen me. He has photo evidence of me and I don't know what yeah. to do. And, you know, murders him, drags him into the forest. You know, the car alarm starts going off. And even then, like the car alarm is going to draw attention. I got to get rid of it. Kills the battery, kills yeah. the car, takes the kid, drags him into the woods and um, sort of starts to grieve over the fact that like he may have just really screwed up bad. Like the cavalry may be right. coming and it is because he gets the attention of Tommy Jarvis. We have the police who sort of like are circling around it, but their initial thoughts of who are responsible or what could be responsible doesn't automatically go towards Jason. It goes towards Tommy. Mm -hmm. So for Rick, he wants to believe that Jason doesn't exist. Yeah. And he doesn't know. I mean, for, for him, he, it doesn't exist. And 
he's also trying to as hard as he can pretend that this isn't this doesn't have anything to do with crystal lake like it's in a parking lot it's far away from the camp like how do yeah. i know that like somebody didn't kill a buck that day like spill the blood right and then you know put it on their truck and drive away and mark's just out there lost in the woods you know what i mean like he doesn't want to jump to any sort of conclusions and you know you see like an, an arrow too there was like part of the part of the thing like so you, arrow keys like i wonder what happened here maybe he yeah, dropped yeah, his keys yeah. and he couldn't find them and when the snow melted here they are and he tried to walk for help and he could be somewhere yeah. um there's still <laughs> that shred of hope it isn't until rick goes up into mark's room and finds that map of crystal lake and realized that like he went into the place where he wasn't supposed to go and he was where he wasn't supposed to be yeah and when rick shows up to the camp after tommy leaves that message to say jason the thought is, is that Rick's assumption is that Tommy is framing Jason. He's using mm. Jason as an excuse to sort yeah. of be the hero again. And he's the one who killed the person. So now he can come in and be the hero and he'll go lead the yeah. march. But when they go into that camp, they're not going to find anything. Yeah. And when they do show up at the camp, who's there waiting for him? It's Tommy. So Tommy is this suspect to Rick. And yeah. that's what we were like, we thought we'd be able to roll right into with Never Hike Again, because that's really the, the, the first subject that comes up other than sort of like Tommy's past in that movie is um, what people will see is sort of how Rick sees Tommy and how Rick sees this curse. And that's the sort of the, the missing part of this element right now that we've, yeah, been, yeah. we've been handcuffed to not being able to tell because of the pandemic and left people asking with questions. but when Tommy does show up to do something about it, just like in Friday the 13th part six, the first time he tries to go show the sheriff and Rick that he dug Jason up and his friends in the grave and all this shit screwed up. Yeah. He <laughs> leads them on a wild goose chase, runs them through the cemetery, gets to the grave, gets tackled, gets handcuffed. And then they look at the grave and it's been filled in. And then Martin, the caretaker covers his own ass says, oh, that wasn't dug up. That's been like that the whole time. And it <laughs> screws Tommy. And you see that Tommy isn't able to, to show people the proof that he needs to yet in order to yeah. get them on his side. And so that's the proper place for him to be at, at this part of the story, as far as a pilot goes, that this is the first episode of a TV show. You don't come to the resolution in the first episode. Right. You present the problem. The problem is, is no one believes Tommy. Jason's still out there and he's outsmarting everybody. And then the people who don't have the proper information, every time they go into Camp Crystal Lake, another person goes missing. And that's right. what happens with the Officer Mabry character. This character that has a little bit more of a moral center and a little bit more of a naivete than Rick does, because Rick's jaded. Mm. Rick's already searched Camp Crystal Lake a thousand times. He's never yeah. found anything. So he, yeah. he doesn't want to waste time. And I think he's scared. That's another yeah. part of it too. <laughs> and this other cop is sort of not seeing it that way. He's seeing it like there's a bunch of abandoned buildings down there. There's very, there's a very good chance that this kid could be in one of those buildings, maybe fallen through a floor. Maybe he's stuck or pinned yeah, in or something. He's lost somewhere. He's yeah. lost and or lost something. And hurt, can't get locked, locked in somewhere because yeah, he got yeah, yeah. like the thing's shut. You know, you never know. And if he goes and takes a look, then it's worth at least looking around and and why is this guy so passionately trying to drive us into this camp? What could possibly be in this camp mm. <laughs> that that is worth looking at? And what is and who is and what you know? It's just like he's got all these questions, and so instead of waiting for someone to like sit him down and be like, "Now you're ready," he's a full grown adult. You know what? I'm gonna go figure this out for myself. Like, if I gotta sit here and wait for the tow truck and all this other bullshit, like I might as well just go poke around. Yeah. And what does he do? He ends up solving the case. Yeah. 
Well. It just unfortunately <laughs> cost him his life. You know, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, he finds the missing boy. He finds the culprit for why the missing boy is there. He just has no clue that the person kneeling in front of him is a supernatural entity that is like powered by a supernatural curse. And right. so we, we wanted to take advantage of that. And I think that like the ending of Never Hike in the Snow was really my answer to sort of like when I watched the Blair Witch and I sort of wanted to see more. Yeah. Like there's, there's Blair Witch vibes when he goes, you know, the, the camera comes around the corner, it pushes through the curtains and there is somebody in kneeling on the floor, not paying yeah. attention to you, not even giving you the time of day, not even react, like not being like, Oh, you caught me. Like yeah. not a single movement. It's creepy. <laughs> you know, it was like, Certainly. I wanted to create a, <laughs> with the end of the movie, I was like, Ooh, like, I know we got more story to tell, but if we're going to, leave like if we're going to leave them with more story to tell we're going to go out with a bang and yeah quite literally like went out with a bang with the idea of like how is jason going to kill this guy he's never used a gun before i don't want him to use a gun yeah but for jason to do something as simple as make somebody turn a gun on themselves and be that quick to sort of like get the like and again it's sort of like jason defending himself Mm. and not necessarily planning to be like oh i'm going to kill you with your own gun more about like first i'm going to get this gun out of the way and then i'll learn how to oh you blew your own head off well that yeah. <laughs> solves my problem um and it also creates another problem for jason so that's the other cool part is that like now jason's killed a cop mm. and there's stuff parked right outside and tommy just got arrested so now it puts a huge hole in rick's case um yeah and Jason realizes he's being recorded again. And, you know, what the hell are we going to do? Stomps the camera out and we leave the, yeah. the, the audience with like, where does it go from here? Yeah. And, you know, we're excited to do that. So like, that's when we did the It ghost is a cut. very big cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, let's say like I had the, let's say I was given the resources to do all four episodes at once. And this was on yeah. HBO Max. And you watch that as the first episode. You're turning, you're tuning in next week, right? You oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think that, that that's the frustrating part for fans is that we don't have those resources and yeah. everything we take takes time. And I need to, you know, go back to work. I need to put enough money to take time off of work. Um, yeah. In order absolutely. To movies, you got to, you got to, you have a life outside yeah, of making unless uh, there's a, unless film. there's like a millionaire out there that's like hey vin here's some money to go like yeah, take well, three months off to just do this um and we'll pay well, for if, everything if there's anybody listening <laughs> so you know so there's that and then we did the ghost cut in which we were able to kind of fill in a little bit of the gap on yeah um which there's that extra scene and it's on the blu-ray too um where we have uh rick give the speech of that what they found was they went back, you know, maybe it was reported missing. They went to the camp. They didn't find anything. Mm. So, you know, that Jason cleaned up after himself. All they found were footprints. They don't know whose footprints. Yeah. The audience knowing what's there, there might be some of Mabry's footprints, but we know there's probably Jason's footprints. And there's a set of footprints that lead out onto the ice. And there's, there's a hole in the ice, mm. that, which means somebody <laughs> went into the water. Yeah. So if you put the pieces together, Jason realized people are coming. I need to hide. Picked up all that stuff, all those bodies from the bodies from disappeared, the bodies that were there now yeah, and went into the water and hid everything down there and just stayed below the surface because he can survive down there. And he knows that he can, he doesn't like it, but that's his yeah. only choice right now. Because if not like 10,000 cops are going to show up and it's going to, 
they're going to blow him away and he's probably not going to die and it's not going to feel great. (laughs) Like, so (laughs) he'll take the cold over the bullets and just has to wait it out until they're there. And that what will show to show people is that like never hike alone takes place three months later when Jason has sort of reemerged from the water Mm. and started to inhabit the camp again, has found a new spot in the camp to sort of find his hiding place. And then that gets disturbed by another person. And so, which is the other worldly theme that we're building on that connects all through the movies is that, um, you know, there's no place for Jason to hide and slowly but surely people are going to keep coming across that. And what's getting worse is that technology is getting, further advanced where people are carrying cameras on them and there's it's pretty much likely that he's going to be caught on camera and never hike alone is about him trying to protect his secrecy and never hike alone too which is the coolest part of the story is this is the moment when jason has nothing to lose Mm -hmm. jason has finally lost the battle after 15 16 years of remaining out of everyone's sight someone escaped and that's what makes kyle mcleod so so interesting of a character he's the first one to escape since tommy Mm. or since in that way and that he just so happens to be rescued by the last person to sort of survive jason other than the other two from or three or four people from from the other films um and that now jason knows that there is no more hiding yeah you know he's on tape (laughs) he's he's murdered people out in public in front of Tommy and he doesn't mm-hmm. understand the dynamic back home. Like he knows who Tommy yeah. is. He knows that Tommy is nuts and that Tommy will attack him if he sees him and he doesn't want to deal with him either. Um, and sort of wants to avoid conflict with Tommy just because Tommy's put him down twice. Yeah. Um, and even an imposter of him on another time. So he's sort of like weary of Tommy. I think there's a part of Jason that sort of sees Tommy as a, as a worthy adversary and not to be messed with. Yeah. And so once he sees Tommy drive away with the victim that he should have, and that, and that, that should be the next Mark Hill, like he should be dragging him back into the woods. No one should know. Yeah. It's that moment. It's that conscious moment that Jason decides, fuck it. I'm going, Yeah. I'm going in. <laughs> I'm going back to town and I'm taking out as many people as I can with me. And I'm going to kill these people because they ruined it. They, they finally ruined my peace. Like they couldn't right. just leave me alone. Well, now I'm going to make you pay. I'm going to make everyone pay. And so that's <laughs> sort of like, as Tommy and, and Kyle are going back to the, to the, to the hospital to sort of lick their wounds and figure out what to do. Now that Jason is, has been released. We also bring back the story of Diana Hill, the mother from Never Hike in the Snow, who is Mm. a doctor who works at that hospital. And so, you know, for people who were sort of introduced to her in that movie and sort of wondered who she was, she plays such a big and pivotal role in that in the story, because she's the person who's going to help them when they get back to the hospital. And there's pieces of her story missing, which is what happened to her son. She still doesn't have. Yeah, right. I was just going to ask you that so that there's no. She has, there's no inclination and in never hike in the snow that she has any clue. She just, she thinks her son's missing. Yeah. Right. Like she's just mm-hmm. still just a mom waiting for her son to come walk through the door. So think, of, so think about you know? horror movies. How, right, what, yeah, what yeah. Are, sometimes like we think of ways that horror can affect people. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I, that I used to discuss when I was making never hike alone was the, the theory of like the quick kill. Mm-hmm. And when a character jumps out, they, they stab the victim, the victim goes yeah. and dies. And yeah. 
we know in real life you die slowly <laughs> like you, yeah. you suffer and like and never hike alone was about this character getting cut and stabbed and scraped and beat mm -hmm. and that these things were wearing on him but they weren't killing him he was living through this pain and struggling through this pain and that that's what made it horrific and that's what made it thrilling and that's what made it suspenseful and for diana's character it's the same thing it's not the immediate it's not the rip of the band-aid that your son is dead you will have a funeral and you'll have to move on with your life that there's like, instead she's got a splinter and she can't yeah. get it out. Cause she doesn't have, she doesn't understand. Like she knows that yeah. her son is missing. So that little kernel of hope is like twisting the knife. Yeah. The fact that, she, right, that right, right. somewhere deep down, because she doesn't have re resolution that she doesn't know if she's ever going to see her son again, because the cops can't prove one way or another what happened. Mm -hmm. And they, they've combed the lake you know obviously they suck at combing the lake because they've never found anything under there so we're just going to go with that theory that like they combed the lake but jason like lifted up rocks or something and tucked these by i don't know what he yeah. does or there's like vegetation and they just don't know or my personal theory and the way that i think about it is every time they hire the divers to go into crystal lake they don't go in they just say they did mm -hmm. they just say sort of like they're too scared like the the they stay on top that people like I wanted I wanted Friday the 13th and I wanted Camp Crystal Lake and I wanted Crystal Lake itself to be yeah. so um what's the word infamous mm. that when somebody who shows up who sort of knows about it they don't want to mess with it it's like the house it off the off the yeah. it's the house off the exit you know right. what I mean yeah, like yeah yeah <laughs> there was nothing wrong with it but we wouldn't go in. I wouldn't go in there. No, you know what no I mean? Way. As a yeah, kid, yeah, yeah. you kidding me? It was the Kneebolt house. It was the Myers house. It was, yeah. it was yeah, all they, these they things. Get, they have to hire a diver from out of state and the guy's going to show up and they got to just hope he doesn't stop in the diner and talk to anybody about what he's doing because they'll convince him. Honestly, that's a short go, film. Don't go too deep. Don't go too deep. It's man. a short you're film. You're not going to like what you see. And the guy's like, what are you talking about? Yeah, and he gets on the edge of the dock and he's got the whole scuba suit on and he's sort of like, yeah, nope. Yeah, he looks, just looks he, both ways. Oh, yeah, I did it. I did the job. Sure. Yeah, yeah, let, yeah. Let me, sure let, me, let me take a dunk just so I'm all wet, clean off my gear. Yeah, no, nothing. Yeah, and so, <laughs> and, you know, and so there's that. And, and like, right. and so there's that sort of element to it that like that, that much fear yeah. is driven from that place. That's the, that's sort of the, that's why it never got cleaned up. That's why no one else ever bought it. That's why it got designated as, as a na nature preserve, you know? Right. And, yeah, and like, yeah, yeah. And, and the thing is, is like, I don't like to beat people over the head with dialogue. I, I, I want to think that like my audience is listening. So like when I say like when, when, when Andrew or like, I keep calling him Andrew was his real name, but when Kyle yeah. says, <laughs> you know, Oh, they designating the land beyond this to a nature preserve. When people go back and watch the film a second time, they should understand that like, oh, that's how they don't let people know that it's Crystal Lake. Like it's a nature yeah. preserve now. You know right. what I mean? Like yeah. they're doing that on purpose. They're trying to keep people out. They don't want people to go down there. Like they're not going to bother trying to do anything. It's like, that's the yeah. perfect thing for it. Like make it a place where people can't go. And that's yeah. Rick's thing thought was yeah. that like, oh, if I make it where people can't go, then we won't have any trouble. But of course people yeah. go beyond fences and stuff like that. So yeah, that is the logical thing too, because you get a, because people would all, everybody would ask that nowadays. You'd say, oh, why, why isn't there, why don't we just renovate? Let's, let's buy a Camp Crystal Lake and renovate it. And, you know, you, you have yeah. to have but a every way time something happens, people out. Yeah. Yeah. And so every time something happens, like people die. And so they're like, you know what? No <laughs> one's going there. 
and no one wants that land. So let's just put up some walls, come up with a fake permit that says that like, there's like a special tree or bird that lives out there right. <laughs> and you can't disturb it. And like, there's places like that in um, like in Westport, when you go up uh, into like, I think it's like North fall river, um, the yeah. trails, I can't remember the, the, those trails where they used to do all the cult yeah. activity. Yeah. They call you, it the reservation. Yeah. The reservation. So when you go out and yeah. you can't go a certain point because they don't want you anywhere near the drinking supply. So you, yeah. you're not allowed to hike those woods. There's big yellow sign. And like that became an inspiration for it. I, I was doing research at home early on to be like, oh, I wonder if I'll shoot never hike alone in Massachusetts. Mm. And I went <laughs> up that, I went up to the reservation and I was walking around and I was like, I saw those big signs that said, keep out. And I went, Ooh, these are great. This is the perfect for a horror film. Like, of course <laughs> I'm going to walk past these signs and check out what's behind yeah. here. And like, when I went back there, it was just, just woods you know, yeah. just don't want you going out there and dumping, you know, having parties and things like that. Like I understood. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I understand why this is here. So yeah. I understood how like, there actually is a bunch of old foundations out there mm -hmm. from houses a long time ago, kind of near, I don't know if you uh, remember off route 24, you can see there's like an old building. Yep. So that's an old ice house mm -hmm. um, from, you know, hundred years ago or whatever, but the, the, around that area, there's a bunch of old foundations Oh yeah. And uh, I remember going there with somebody and they were like looking for like old glass and stuff and just like old antique things. Cause mm -hmm. you know, it's like a hundred years old. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, the, but so yeah, that the, they, there are signs everywhere that say, do not go over here. You yeah, can't and fish that whole area. in that, you know, pond. You or can't anything. fish yeah. that side. You can't bring motorboats on that side. You can't, you yeah. can't do anything. You can't cause we yeah. gotta drink it. Um, but <laughs> you know, all those, that whole area for the, for the longest time before there was like actual road works and there was all dirt roads. And people mm -hmm. built their cabins out there. I mean, that's how my grandfather ended up there. Him and his him, him and his father, in like the 1930s, went down and bought a piece of land right on the side of like, I mean, the pond out there is like it's half pond, half swamp. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you really think about it, uh, so it was like sort of desirable land, but it wasn't Cape Cod, so it was, it was sort of like in the fringe. And and, and Fall River was an up and coming like community. There was a lot, of, you know, that's when the textile industry was booming, so yeah. people were moving over there, and so you know, it was really a, a land grab at that point. And, you know, yeah, he ended up yeah, building yeah. like their own cabin and he still lives there to this day. I mean, he built that into an actual house eventually. Okay. Um, and, and that's, and that's how, you know, our family got there from being like Italian immigrants at the beginning of, you know, the 1900s mm. to, you know, almost, I mean, now over a hundred years later, since our, my family came to this country that, you know, that's where they dug their roots and we still have roots there. Um, yeah. That's awesome. But, but there's a lot of history there. And I, I remember seeing photos from my grandfather. I mean, it was scary. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you go down some of the drive. I mean, think about it. Some of the drives you probably know, like a lot of like those wood drives that all go all around the lake and like yeah. little, like little, like little tributaries, almost like, like little roads that kind of go into back yeah, areas where houses roads. are. Yeah. Weird little roads, weird little <laughs> houses, weird, you know, all, I mean, all of the, the stone walls in, in the town um, were put there in like hundreds of years ago and they yeah. still stand to this day. And, and so like, part of our psyche is as you know we think about the past we think about the past haunting us and those things like from the past yeah. they're still there they're still if they're still there something that's connected to them is still there i think that was something that was like always at the house mm. on that off the highway that um that maybe that's the name of the movie the house off the highway yeah there we go. <laughs> that's I, good gonna, i'll write it I'll, that'll be the next thing i'm like the list of 50 million things i play i'll write that it'll take me three years i'll be like hey man i finally finished <laughs> cool you know what i mean and i and i cast uh joseph gordon levitt as the lead 
So he's <laughs> the guy who owns the in. warehouse. <laughs> yeah, we need the stand-in. All right. I do think that that is a that is a story that they knock down the haunted house and build a house over it, thinking that the like that will solve it. But then the warehouse becomes haunted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. I dig simple, that. <laughs> super simple. You so, just have to come up with a good backstory for it. Yeah. Well, the backstory backstory is there yeah i mean the house the house i mean the house it was just like but then it's like what once it manifests like what is it manifesting or what does the house like at that point you need to come up with like what's the hook Mm. like what's the hook of the house like what does the house do because there is that that movie house i haven't watched it a long time but i if i remember correctly ended up being like the soul of an old general lived in the house and that was the ghost that they had to defeat at the end and it was very kind of cartoony at some at some places yeah that uh Um, that movie was ridiculous (laughs) did you ever see a movie um it's me um it's called we are still here no so it stars barbara cramden but watch that one. That's a really good one. We are okay. still here. And it sort of has that vibe where a family, um, it's, a, it's a recently grieving uh, couple. They lost their son, I believe. And they moved to a town in New England in the mm-hmm. late 80s. Okay. And they moved to this house, which has this family, which died in a fire that every so often they need to eat the souls of another family in order to remain happy or else those souls will get outside of the house and kill everyone in the town. Okay. So the town has to get people to move into this house so they can feed the house. Oh, all right, all right. And so they don't die. So they don't die, and they're they're sort of like and sort and so there's sort of people in the town that are sort of in on. It. I'm sort of spoiling it. Um, it's okay. <laughs> but I think for the purposes of that, like, but that was an interesting way to do it. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Like, that was like. That's a good twist. It's a good twist, and and the people that were inside the house since they had been burned, they sh- when they appeared, they were like on fire, and it was scary, and they would do shit to people that were like, that was brutal. Like they would make people do things to themselves. Yeah, they would burn people or they would stab people, <laughs> so it was very visceral. Um, so the, yeah. the filmmaker, um, Ted, I, and I don't know how to spell it. Last name starts with a G, but it's very, uh, it seems very Greek. Um, it's kind of what populist or something like that. Uh, but he, um, you know, he was very inspired by the 1970s giallo films made by Lugio Fulci. I think it's Lugio Fulci. I know Fulci is the last name, but it's like L-U-G-I-O, Lugio, Lugio, Lugio Fulci. (laughs) Um, anyway, he was like, he was considered the godfather of gore. And so he did a lot of things in his films, like house by the cemetery. And, um, I think he did, uh, never, never kill a duckling um okay. can't remember the full name i'm probably butchering it but um mm-hmm. he he sort of like in his films like really mastered the gore element same thing with mario bava um dario argento uh, a lot of those italian filmmakers in the 70s are what drove the way that 1980s horror was shaped around the kill around coming up with yeah. a special effect that looked visceral on screen um i think you've probably seen it but don't know what movie it's from um, but there's a film called zombie 2 and okay. in that movie, um, that's when like a zombie grabs a woman's head and like pulls it into like a wood splinter and, a, and you see it go in the yeah. eye and the eye pusses and, and gore goes everywhere. Yes. That's, that's Fulci. And so okay. that's, that's <laughs> where that comes from. Um, and so when they, you know, there's things in like, there's a film called Twitch of the Death Nerve, also Bay of Blood, depending on 
you know what streaming platform it's in or where it's where it's released <laughs> um there's a scene where two lovers are in bed and the killer comes behind them and stabs them through the back and the spear goes through both of them and like sticks into the floor well that's also a kill that probably got ripped off by someone from friday the 13th part two for mm-hmm. sandy and um i can't remember the name of the, the male character but he that happens in that thing they, they do it almost one for one but that became sort of like the birth of gore in the united states okay um and friday the 13th was was one of the the leading elements of that friday the 13th the, the george romero films the tom the work tom savini did yeah, yeah, yeah. um you know films like maniac and the burning and um you know final friday the 13th the final chapter and yeah. the work stan winston was doing you know so visual effects back in the 80s was really sort of the boom and so the appeal to get people into the audience was come up with a loosely <laughs> like a loose story that gets yeah. us from a to b and just help us string along these five or six special effects things that are become <laughs> that become the the thing that when you turn around and you want to see people's faces when they see sort of like jason getting a machete to the face or mrs or mrs yeah. for head pop off yeah. or um <laughs> you know carrie sticking your arm out like Mm-hmm. prior to that the, the thought the the rule of thumb was like psycho which was don't it's more of like the theater of the mind yeah where don't we don't it. we yeah. see some blood hit the floor but we don't see the the, the, the knife penetrate um in texas chainsaw mm-hmm. we see the the chainsaw get waved around but we never see the chainsaw penetrate we never see blood yeah. flying everywhere um we see disturbing images uh same thing with um halloween you know, there are kills yeah. on screen. It starts to get a little bit more there. Same thing with Black Christmas. Yeah. Um, Last House on the Left was a little bit more visceral. Mm-hmm. We saw an actual rape happen on screen. We saw a woman attacked, uh, which yeah. was very, which was at the time. Um, I mean, you're at the peak of like pushing cinema of like what is X-rated and what isn't X-rated. Yeah, that rode right. that line. Um, but that opened the door. And so those films sort of opened the door for Friday the 13th to come in, execute those types of, of effects on screen, shock people because, yeah. I, mean, I mean, Marcy getting the ax to the face or yeah. um, Kevin Bacon getting the arrow through the throat. Those are things people had never seen before <laughs> in American cinema. And so that created the slasher boom. And so when you go back and you examine films through each of the decades or even pockets of the decades, you can notice trends and the more you know about filmmaking you start to realize that like the trends are based on technique and the technique of the time that is really sort of supposed to be the groundbreaking thing like when they did the thing uh, and those you know (laughs) then they did the blob and they did the remake of the blob and then sort of then the technique became the meta of it so now the technique that drove it was the story because everyone had seen the kills at that point, there wasn't a kill that you really couldn't have done or seen already. Like it got played out and now it was starting to get ridiculous. So now we needed something yeah. to sort of, what else is there? Oh, well, the kill can be the kill because we can do anything we want, but scream came along. And at yeah. first it started with night, uh, a new nightmare with that becoming meta. And then scream came along and said, no, we're mm. going to undo sort of like, it isn't about the kill. It's about who done it. Yeah. Yeah. Who yeah, is yeah. it? Right. And being aware of all the things that all the characters are going to, like, we don't want to watch the character trip and fall. We don't want to watch the character run upstairs. We don't want to watch the character make the bad decision and, and the final girl and all that stuff. We want to yeah. have characters that are aware and that are prepared to deal with a situation and still get outsmarted. Yeah. And, and then that took it to another level. And so that became the storytelling yeah. aspect. And then it became about the gore again. 
And that's when torture porn came back along. And so Mm. like we started getting the saws and the hostels and things like that. I was trying, just trying to think of the name of that movie. Yeah. And then, and then it was about sort of like, Ooh, you know what we could do better than we've ever done before are zombies. We can Mm. take zombies from George Romero, which are lumbering around and sort of slow paced films. And we can do Dawn of the dead. And then Dawn of the dead led to the walking dead led to world war Z led yeah. to um how many zombie things came out at that time and yeah right had, a lot uh, 28 days later yeah, and yeah. that drove cinema for a while and then you have james wan come back out after doing saw and do the conjuring mm-hmm. and then everything shifted to ghosts and it was conjuring insidious um yeah what's the other one sinister and stuff like that and then you had another sort of political part break off and you had sort of the purge films Hmm. which went for a little while then you had paranormal activity which drove found footage and blair that stemmed from blair witch so you can see how all these different things when you go back and you look at those films you look at sort of the ones that launched them and the key ingredients which into wenting went into making those films and you yeah. watch those techniques and those storytelling like the execution techniques for the types of scares you do and the storytelling techniques for the types of stories you tell and you see that like there's usually one and then there's a bunch of imposters and sometimes in the in the not so much imposters but more derivatives yeah. and sometimes right, those right, derivatives right. can advance it even more like you know, Friday the 13th is a derivative of Halloween, is a derivative of uh, Black Christmas, is a derivative of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, is a derivative yeah. of Psycho. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And, and they expand and they take on new forms and things like that. And that's cinema. And so like when you're a filmmaker, it's not just about like saying like, oh, well, I can put together all this, my favorite scenes from different movies into this sandwich. It's all you're doing is showing things people have already seen before, but now you're executing them because you've, you know, analyzed the game plan for movies past and just one for one. And that's one way of doing it. Part of it is doing that to start and then understanding where could this go? What is this, you know, like doing a fan film and having the access to a drone? Yeah. I can open up scope and scale. I can actually fly. I can do helicopter shots, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like like how much does Stanley Kubrick have to pay for that? that <laughs> helicopter to fly up the mountain at the beginning of the shining. Yeah. And I literally, you know, spent a grand of my own money on a decent drone <laughs> and right. took my friend's car up and drove around the mountains with my friends for a couple of weekends. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, not to say that like at the time that drone was shooting at the same level of like an Ari flex camera of even back in the seventies, the way that it looked on film, mm. But we could do certain camera moves, camera, you know, I was able to do flyovers with tilt ups, um, yeah. you know, horizontal like pans. We were able to fly with, with the truck. Um, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of stuff we dropped out that like was beautiful stuff that we just didn't need. It was just too long yeah. at that point. Um, well, and now you have it. Now we have it. <laughs> yeah. You know, now we have it. Might as well use it. But um, you no, know, a lot right. of, you know, a lot of film is like actually dropping things to the ground, but um but we were able to do those things. The fact that we were able to get like a cinematic image out of a camera that's this big. Yeah, yeah, that's you know? insane. That's crazy. And then, you know, upgrade when we needed to. But um, but at that point, it was sort of like, we were able to take the techniques, you know what I mean? The techniques from 127 Hours, the techniques from The Martian, the techniques from Friday the 13th, and yeah. blend those together into a cinematic story. Um, and yeah. 
in each scene. So each scene is there's sort of like the bread's been baked a thousand different ways. Any way that you want to shoot something, it's been shot that way before in some way, shape, or form. Um, and the more you understand the past, the more you can understand how to take it to the future because you understand what the trajectories are. And so yeah. um, that's really sort of been my my mission as a filmmaker is is analyzing those things and and trying to when I go to set go okay I'm not just copying and pasting I'm using the tools around me to sort of mm -hmm. push it but not go to a place where it's like we're breaking the rules it's like staying within the rules um but but doing things at the right time knowing yeah. that I have a thousand different options but in this moment this is the way to shoot something that is yeah. the most effective to tell the story yeah and not overdoing it yeah, not overdoing your techniques it. and your and and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, not every move. You know, you're not sliding every move or like dutching yeah. every move or like doing anything. Sometimes, it, sometimes yeah, yeah, yeah. knowing is being simple and knowing yep. that there's very simple coverage to do. Like also on your scheduling too, for the yeah, fact that right. like if every single scene is like it's a visual, like tapestry <laughs> of of all these different things that need to happen. Like you're never going to finish your movie because everything yeah, never is will. a ten. Right. You know what I mean? You can't the 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 intensity level and the execution level difficulty yeah. can't always be at 10. Like you need to do a couple of tens in order to make it be impressive. But most of the right. time you can survive on being at a cool five or six. And if you yeah. just hit those five or six well, and you, you execute those simple things well, it gives you room to go out and then play for your tens and go, yeah. okay, this scene is all about, you know, a high fall. This scene is all yeah, about yeah, a yeah, fight. Yeah, yeah. The scene is all about a, a face reveal. This, you know, so it's like, you allows yeah. you to pick your moments. And they say in film, in a, in a 90 minute film, there are five moments in a story that the audience will remember when they walk out of the theater, they will remember everything else in, I mean, they will forget everything else in between mm -hmm. those five moments, <clears throat> but those five moments will be what they tell their friends that gets them to watch the film. And then right. those friends find their own moments. But like, if you can aim to do that and keep everything else in between, like the ride keeps going and you don't want to get off the ride, that's, yeah. that's successful filmmaking. Cool. So now is a part of the show where I want to ask you some odd questions. Let's do it. All right. So uh, some of these are pertaining to what you do, and some of them are just questions. Okay. What is the worst job you've ever had? Oh, the worst job I ever had. <clears throat> I don't know if I've ever had a worse job per se, because every job I've ever had, I think, has had its positives. But I think... The worst part of a job that I ever had was when I worked for Cardoza's Wine and Spirits. Okay. And I loved that job because I got to learn a lot about spirits and wine and stuff like that. But yeah. there was a can crusher machine that you could put your cans in and then you could yeah. get like a slip out to like get money if like you kept your cans or whatever and people would bring, but people would scour all of Southern New England for like cans <laughs> and pull them out of anywhere and like feed them into this machine. And when this machine crushes cans with like, you know, they were a third filled with beer. Like, yeah, it stunk to high heaven. Like, yeah, <laughs> every time you open up this bin, I just wanted to throw up and like halfway through the shift, you'd be talking about some elegant wine, trying to sell it to somebody. And it's like, up oh, time to go change the can bin. It was like, I might as well just go <laughs> scoop shit out of and like smear myself in it. Cause now I'm going to smell like the cans yeah, and all like, smell like gross beer and moldy beer. And so it, and then there was a room in the back where we used to keep all the bags. And so after bags a of week, crushed cans, bags of crushed, smelly cans, when yeah. you walked into that room, it was like, <gasps> like I want, you should have had like one of those, um, 
those plague masks with the big beaks <laughs> right, 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 with yeah. all the things because it just reeked. And so I remember that was the last job I had before I moved out to Los Angeles. And every time I pulled one of those bags out of that bin and threw them on the big pile, it was a motivation for me to get my shit together and get to Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, so I would say that that's probably right. a, a good, a good answer to that one. A good uh, crummy part of a job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this is a funny one. If, if you could be any animal, what animal would you be? Oh, I know this one. I'd be a sloth. All right. <laughs> I would just hang from a tree. I'd come down to like take a crap, like climb up into the tree, eat a papaya. It's a very like ho-hum life, just very simple, very relaxed. No one bothers the sloth. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think it has many predators, kind of stinks. So it doesn't, it's not really tasty. It just kind of hangs out and like, you know, I just wish I would like, it could be me and all my friends sloths hanging out in a tree with nobody bothering us. So, um, what is your favorite food? All time favorite food could eat it just about every day, man. I don't know if I could eat it every day anymore, but I love a a well-prepared steak. Just, just super, super, you know, pretty ho-hum there with me. I'd like a a well-cooked steak on a grill anything my dad cooks too. Mm. Um, my dad's a wonderful cook. Um, everything he makes is amazing, but yeah, I think one, like when he, he cooks this one sort of like, there's one, ver- I can't, I can't remember what it's called, but he does one style. And every time he does, he, he gets like the whole hunk of meat and cooks it all at the same time, like roast yeah. it all day. <laughs> oh my God. Nice. At the end of the day, it's like so soft and oh, so good. Definitely <laughs> cool. That nice. and, and chocolate chip cookies. Okay. <laughs> that sounds like quite the meal. What is the scariest movie you've ever seen? One that you were like, wow, that was the, a lot. The one that scared me the most ever when I was watching horror movies, and I was watching them all when I was a kid, the one that scared me the most was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And the sound of a chainsaw drives me up a wall to this day like if i'm really? at a haunt and i hear a chainsaw like i'm 6'3 220 i start running like <laughs> i hear a, a cosplayer or a, a haunt actor has a chainsaw even if it doesn't have a chain on it i just don't want to be anywhere i just start instinctively sprinting <laughs> i was actually <laughs> Cortland gordon who played mark in uh, never hike in the snow took me to a haunt in michigan when we were making a something called happy Halloween. It was a Michael yeah. Myers fan film that they did with uh, this other guy, Jimmy champagne. And, uh, and then Ryan Becker, who's part of the oddest to the odd, um, group over there. Yeah. Um, I should have you interview those guys get the oddballs together. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but they, they took me to a haunt in, in Michigan that that happened. Like I heard, I just started running and like the whole second, I mean, this, <laughs> they do, they go to the ninth, this place, this it was this long tunnel, it was filled oh, with fog. I couldn't see anything. I literally, and they have, like, it's meant to do this. They have a padded wall at the end that you just run, like, face first. Into. <laughs> I was just like, oh, shit. And I was like, oh, I got to, and I got out. And so there's that. But the first time I watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre, <laughs> the scene where, um, I can't remember the name of the brother right now, but when the brother's, like, complaining and she's pushing him through the forest, Mm. And he's like, ah, oh, you gotta get me, ma, ma, ma. And he's just complaining. I'm like, dude, shut this guy up. And he's like, Wah! and he just yeah. gets blasted. <laughs> dude, I jumped out of my bed as a kid, like literally leaped out of my bed and crawled across the floor and hit eject on the tape yeah. button. Cause I was like, oh my God, I can't <clears throat> handle this. 
I cannot handle this right now. Oh, I had crazy. to like literally go for a walk around the house and be like, I don't know if I can finish this movie. <laughs> and it took a little while before I pushed the tape back in and, and worked up the courage to yeah. watch the rest of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And that, um, that blew my mind. And that was one of the scariest yeah. moments as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Well, my, my brother's like seven years older than me. Mm-hmm. So when I was, you know, like 10, 11, he'd bring movies home, you know, from Blockbuster. Mm-hmm. And we'd watch these movies, and the, the movie that put me over the edge was The Exorcist. Oh. And I was definitely way too young to be watching The Exorcist because you know, ten, eleven, whatever it was. Oh yeah, that one put me over the edge big time. The funny thing about The Exorcist is that I actually that I actually never found that one scary. At that point, I had watched The Exorcist after I'd seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre, all the Friday the Thirteenth. I was so used to people being like obliterated in movies right like as like the scare so when i saw the exorcist and no one got really like you know he jumped out the yeah. window it wasn't a big slasher stuff. movie yeah. it wasn't a big slasher movie and even the omen like things happened to people you know what i mean like people died like in the exorcist yeah. it was more about just the girl getting taken over and i was like yeah her skin was looking weird and it, it was sad that she was that but at the same time like she got to say some of the dopest shit to parents like that yeah. i've ever heard a child and you know me and i, I was like yo listen to her just dropping all these f-bombs <laughs> telling this yeah, guy's yeah, yeah, mother yeah. sucks cocks in hell like yeah i'm like yeah. I, I was I way too young to my teachers yeah. <laughs> i was way too young to be watching that and i think it was just the fact that it was presented as like a real life thing yeah and go to Catholic church every Sunday mm-hmm. back then, you know, it was like they were driving that home. Yeah. Time. And what if you got possessed? Like I never yeah, I was like, holy shit, possessed. this is going to happen to me. You know what I mean? I was, Oh no. Yeah. It was, it didn't scare <laughs> me. I just, I was like, go ahead. Like, let me go to school and say all these things to teachers. Like that yeah. would be hilarious. Everybody in class would laugh possessed. their ass off. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I'm glad I didn't. Oh my God. If I never saw, I wonder when I saw the exorcist and why I never came to school being like, ah, like that would have yeah. totally been something I would have done. <laughs> like, yeah. I, mean? I would have put that into my, my act. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Like, okay, Mr. West class today, we're going to do The Exorcist by Vincent yeah. DeSanti. Yeah, here's, here's some. <laughs> tell Mr. West wanna, all this crazy shit I heard in this movie. Put some uh, pea soup in your mouth. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, like, and the whole thing for me was it wasn't that like, what was more fun to me was I made the class laugh. Yeah. And that was more important to me than anything. Like, I didn't care how I was doing the class. Like, if I yeah. could like at least once a week <laughs> get a big laugh out of the class, that was that was more in it for me than anything else that I was learning. We would have been a, uh, a pretty bad duo <laughs> if we were in uh, high school together. Yeah. Cause I did a lot of, I, I'll, I won't, I'm not going <laughs> to yeah. tell the story right now. You got I'll a job to keep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did a couple of pretty crazy things in high school. <laughs> pretty, yeah. pretty good acts. Um, so if this is a good question, only because I've gotten a lot of mixed answers for it. I'm really interested to see what you say. Uh, if you could visit any time in history, mm. uh, but only to be a fly on the wall, you can't affect anything. You just to experience what happened. Uh, what, where, and when would you go in history? Hmm. I mean, I would try to find a place in history that was like the most chill. I'm trying, but like history isn't full of chill times. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I would love to see like ancient Rome in its heyday. I would love to see like ancient Rome when it was fully built. 
or ancient right. Greece when it was fully built and what it looked like and understand like what day to day, because everything you learn about in history is sort of like the actions of the, the most well-known people of the time, the yeah. people who were in, you know, places of power and, um, yeah, lived extravagant wealthy. lives the wealthy and things like yeah, that but yeah, what yeah. was it like what was the mall you know yeah, like yeah. In, in ancient rome like what did schmucks that just walked around and like lived in society like what did they do how did they make their lives was there like what was life outside those city walls and like mm. what was it like living in a thing where like all of a sudden like the persians could be coming over the hill like in your backyard like to attack yeah. you know and what was that like um I think it would be a combination of either that or pioneer life. I would love to be a part of like old wild West, like the old Westerns mm. and like living in a town and like just having a plot of land and living and just having yeah. a trade and just doing something, <laughs> you know what I mean? And like yeah. not being bothered by, you know, I think technology, I'd, I'd want to be yeah. away from technology as far as, as far as possible. We're like, everything you had to do was like with your hands yeah. and yeah, yeah. You know, it was what you did that it wasn't like, Oh, I'm, I got an algorithm. It's like, Oh, it's a cheat code. Right. 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 So if you could live anywhere except for where you live right now, uh, where would you pick to go live? Sweden. Cool. I would love to live in Sweden. They got a great metal uh, scene up there. That's where like all my favorite bands <laughs> yeah, are from. Yeah. It's a beautiful country. And I would love, I mean, that would be like the most extravagant thing. That That's sort of like one place. I mean, LA is sort of cool, but I think if there's any place in the United, I, a couple of places I've looked, I've like looked at Portland. Like Portland is a, mm. is a cool spot. Like I really look at sort of like the nature of a place. That's what draws yeah. me to it. Yeah. Um, I, I was definitely kind of one of those people that if, other people hadn't moved there and ruined it already. I'd probably already be living in Colorado. Okay. Um, but now everybody already moved there. So I feel like ah, I missed the boat on that. Mm. I'd just be like one of 10 million people that are going up there and driving up the housing market. So um, I'm looking for the <laughs> next sort of that, but I mean, I would love to go to a, like a Sweden or anywhere in the Nordic area, beautiful country. I love winter. I love snow. Um, I don't mind oh. the cold, um, cool architecture, cool yeah. I think people have a cool mindset up there um, yeah. as far as the way that they interact and see society and humans. Um, mm. I would definitely, I've definitely probably spent a lot of time up there. Cool. That's awesome. So uh, what is the, your favorite part of the process of filmmaking? Like, finishing. Finishing. <laughs> Just, when it's all done. Yeah. The best part is after all that work sitting at the front row and turning around that's what it's all about awesome. it's cool. turning around because at that point you've done everything you can and now it's about how are people going to enjoy this and are they going to have a good time and are you going to be the bright spot of their day or are you going to be the bane of their existence mm. um and that's the risk <laughs> anytime you take you take on making a film and i think that like I think the worst thing you could ever have when you make a film is like apathy. Like mm. nobody feels one way about it or the other. Like yeah. as long as people are talking about it, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, like I think that like the Jason rising project got some interesting um, 
it did it's mostly positive all that stuff yeah. but in the kernel of negative reviews it was sort of like a fun thing to see like some of the boldest things that you, decisions that were made in the process like pamela coming back and walking around headless and being super like all these certain elements of mm -hmm. it that sort of like brought out sort of like ugly sides of people to be like oh how does this happen and blah 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 and you're like wow dude your <laughs> sexism is showing um i can't believe you're <laughs> this mad that we brought pamela back because jason can come back as many times as you want but pamela never comes back like right, right, it's right. sort of the appeal of like <laughs> the what if in fan film and yeah um so there's fun of that, but I mean, like, yeah, there was no better feeling than, I mean, it, I was nervous when, when Never Hike Alone showed, but like, I think I've, I've gotten into the habit where I've sat down and, and my experiences showing people films that we've made have been positive every time, cool. you know, for the, for the majority of it. And like, I, you know, I listen to criticism and I get it and certain in certain ways um and it helps me become a better filmmaker but at the end of the day is everyone wants to like help get me better but at the same time like at, at the core end of it it's like did you sit down and did you enjoy yourself like before yeah. you go in and tell me all the things i did wrong because i already know like there isn't yeah. a thing a filmmaker already knows we've tried every single avenue to sort of fix things so yeah. that it's as good as possible and we just can only work with what we shoot and we can only work with what we mm -hmm. do and not everything's perfect and yeah um and sometimes there's a lot of happy accidents and being like oh we didn't intend for it to go that way like the beginning of never hike never hike in the snow there was a very specific way in which the film played in my head for a year before we yeah, shot yeah, yeah. and when we got into editorial the way that i had planned it, it ended up being put together backwards and i went oh instead of it being the shot that let us in it's the shot that leads us out um, yeah, yeah. that's interesting but in the process of like you know, there was this one shot that I always had in my head that I was like, oh, we're always going to drop back and have this shot where like the character runs into frame and that it's, it's going to be a great neutral angle for us. So I never really thought about the shot as being sort of like important in a way or like being overly cinematic. It was more of like this kind of like skeleton key of like, this is a shot that allows us to cut to a bunch of different angles yeah. and it can be a great safety shot. It ended up being one of the most cinematic shots of the film when Mark runs into the, into the scene. And there's like in the foreground, there's this, the, the last little bit of like green hedges that's being covered in snow and the snow mm. is coming down, actual snow coming down in buckets. Yeah. And that ended up being, that was supposed to just be like a throwaway shot. And that ended up being like the key that allowed us to put it all together. Yeah. Um, and lead us into this shot and so like when you're going into it there's so much like so many things can change but when you're at the end of it is like where it really sort of yeah there's no more decisions to be made it can just be yeah it can just be it it can just be and exist and i can move on to the next thing cool speaking of the next thing uh judy when is judy uh, uh judy should be released? coming out for anybody who backed it they'll be able to um in fact i just shut it down last night it's going to be running for maybe three more days so i don't know it might by the time this airs it may be maybe long gone at that point um but it's going to come out for anyone who backed it in probably in the beginning of january okay. january february we should be able to cool. get the link up for people to view it we're going to take it to the film festival circuit um behind that i'm working diligently on never hike alone too that's sort of like mm -hmm. the main focus of what i'm working on right now um there are i'm looking at the script and sort of you know when i originally planned to do three different episodes it was sort of like oh we can raise a lot of money and do each episode and put a lot into that episode and now i'm sort of going back like oh lost a year and a half so i might as well just make it all right now yeah. and going into some of the <laughs> scenes and being like maybe we should take the fire element out 
maybe hmm. we should um, not smash so many windows. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> starting to think about like, if we're going to raise a certain amount of money, I need to make sure that that money makes the film. And that, yeah. yeah, it would be great to have fire effects and, you know, Jason jumping through windows and smashing things and breaking down doors and doing all these yeah. things. But are there other ways in which we're going to be entertaining that if we remove those elements that they won't yeah. be missed and it will also save us thousands of dollars and that we can put into <laughs> another day of shooting because we have to get all these scenes first. Yeah. Um, what are my five moments? And once I have my five moments, if it's not one of the five moments, it's not necessary. Yeah. Yeah. It would be great if we had it, we could add it, it could be a bonus. It could be like the sixth thing or it may battle out for one of the five favorite moments, yeah, but as long as we have those five, everything else in between, you know, you got to kill your darlings. Right. You know, at the end of the day, like you can look at a scene and say, what's the story here? Well, I, at the beginning of the scene, it's this, at the end of the scene, we need to know this information and this has to happen. The character has to get over the wall. The character has to deliver a piece of information. The mm -hmm. character, you know, whatever it is. And so that's yeah. sort of taking that process and never hike alone too, to really sort of, you know, the story is complete. It's just about going in and being like, you know what, with this scene, this can happen instead. Same things are still happening, but we've just saved $5,000. Cause I don't have to gel up an actor and set them on fire and then take that <laughs> yeah. into post-production and have 15 shots that have digital flames in them. Like in Judy, we, we had to do some like digital firework. And mm. it was pretty cool. We got it to done. And so I thought about it and I was like, if we need to do digital firework, we may be able to do it, but maybe I should just not bother. Mm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's, that's seven less shots. My, my post editor has to do. Yeah. And so well, it's like you said about the five, your five, what was it? The five elements, five points, or the five, five, the five moments of a movie that moments. the audience remembers <laughs> the five, yeah, moments. five moments. The fifth element. Um, yeah, so so Never Hang Alone 2. And then, um, like I talked about a little bit before, Ghost Chicken is the first animated project that Womp Stomp Films is going to do. Um, the story is a vegan restaurant is haunted by the ghost of a chicken. And there's <laughs> one curl determined to figure out why. And um, it was a concept I came up with while I was on tour with Never Hike Alone. I was eating at a vegan restaurant. I had the best vegan burger I ever had in my entire life. I couldn't believe yeah. it. And I created this little story around it. And um, it, it came, it took on a life of its own, worked with a few storyboard artists, JD, Leslie, um, uh, Monique Arroyo, and um, Jay Klaus. Uh, they helped me storyboard out the entire thing. It's a 22 minute pilot. It's about the same length as Never Hike in the Snow. Um, it's like a half hour episode of, of, of TV. Um, mm -hmm. It's going to be 2D animation. And my friend's do a lot of the voices. I do some of the voices. Um, I've cut it myself here in my home studio and we're partnering with a company called Mako animation. They're based out of Mexico. They're big fans cool. of never hike alone. That's how we met. Nice. And <laughs> once we get the finished animatic, which is like the previs for animation. Yeah. We'll, we'll deliver that animatic to Mako. Um, we'll get our final bid and then we're going to step towards crowdfunding to hopefully raise, which is probably going to be somewhere between 60 to $80,000 in order to, get this thing made yeah. um and i'm hoping <clears throat> that the work that we put in never hike alone the fan base that we built up that eventually what ends up happening is that fan base steps over to one of our original projects and they give us one hundred and twenty thousand dollars to do a movie for friday the 13th would they give us that same thing to do something original and trust us that we're going to come up with something that's going to have those moments they're going to want to show it and yeah. the coolest part is 
people get to be a part of it. They get their names in the credits. They yeah. get to make it come to life. Um, and it's a bunch of people coming together and throwing between five and twenty dollars down. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. You get two thousand, three thousand people <clears throat> who support you, um, yeah. and they pay for something to get made. And they get not only do they <clears throat> are they paying for paying to be in the film and to be a part of the film that they get the access to it at the end of the day they're like they're not just paying for a ticket and going into the theater and watching it yeah like they're making it happen which is pretty cool and yeah, that's you get sort the of feeling like, of being involved you get the feeling of being involved and yeah. knowing that like you're going to get something that somebody else doesn't have it yeah. is exclusive in that sense of the fact that yeah, like yeah, yeah many people don't know about it yet but there is a potential with Wompstown films being attached that all of a sudden that project goes on to be something else. And again, they were a part of it. They get to be a part of it and say they are. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty awesome. So uh, where can people watch your films? You know, what is, what's your social media? What's all, what's all mm -hmm. that? Um, everything is at Womp Stomp Films, W-O-M-P-S-T-O-M-P-F-I-L-M-S. We're on YouTube, so youtube.com slash Womp Stomp Films, Facebook, yeah. Instagram, and Twitter. Um, you know, YouTube is where we post all of our films. So we have Never Hike Alone, Never Hike in the Snow, Pathosis. Um, you know, Judy will eventually be there. Um, in a while, it's going to do its festival run first. Um, we have my other short films on there, Imagine and Red Room, uh, the behind the scenes making of Never Hike Alone. Um, we just released, and then we released little things. You know, we did yeah. like a music video disappear. We just released that like sort of pseudo trailer for Jason versus the Wolfman on Halloween. Um, yeah. <laughs> pretty soon I'm going to start unleashing all the, the never hike in the snow, uh, bonus content onto, yeah. uh, the channel. So like the behind the scenes for never hike in the snow, the gag reel, um, there's like an episode of trail junkies. There's, um, nice. <laughs> you know, what else do we have on there? There's, a, you know, there's, there's quite a few things that, that I think will keep people intrigued. And then we're working on other small things. Um, obviously when the ghost cut is done, those things will end up on there. So like the ghost files and some of the other um, yeah. interviews that I've done. So it's a, <clears throat> uh, it's, it's definitely a cool place. Our, our, and our other um, like the Facebooks, the, the Instagrams and the Twitter, that's to really just stay in touch for when we are crowdfunding. Um, yeah. It's there for us to interconnect with our fan, but that's, if you ever want to know, like when our Blu-ray is going to be available, when our films going to go into production, you know, behind the scenes, um, when we're crowdfunding, you know, even just like updates from us along the way, like when we're shooting, we usually do more updates. We're like, Hey, you know, I'm on location. And this week when we did never hike in the snow, we had a lot of those. Yeah. Um, it was really cool. Every week we were, I was on Instagram saying this week, I'm in Lake Arrowhead. We're shooting this. This is what we're working on. And what's cool is, is that people who invest in us, um, they get to see us work. Yeah. Um, a lot of the people who invest at high levels, they get to come to set like nightly GMEO who, um, uh, or Giamo, uh, who's in Never Hike in the Snow, he plays mm -hmm. young Jason. He was a backer. You know, he came in because he wanted to be an executive producer and he has a love for film. And, you know, he he paid to get the film produced or part of it. Uh -huh. But then he got to spend time on set with us. You know, he got to come down awesome. and see how the bread was made. Same thing with Barry J. Um, and many other people who have just reached out to us um, at wompstompfilms at gmail.com. Uh, if you live in LA or if you are, want to make a trip to LA and you want to volunteer for one of our sets to help be one of our, you know, the more bodies we can add to set, the more we can get done, you know, yeah. even if you're just helping move in sandbags or helping move equipment or helping set up crafty or doing a food run for us, like that's yeah, one yeah, less yeah, person yeah, right. we use from our crew to do that stuff. So we, 
we try to work with young filmmakers to say, hey, if you want to learn how we do it, then come out, volunteer, and I will give you a front row seat to how we went from a bunch of people who worked for other people to make their movies to being able to take the time to make our own. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that's really cool that you can do that. Thanks, man. Um, so I want to thank you for doing this with me. I know we uh, <clears throat> we both have uh, the day off. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so we made it work, but um, this is cool. I mean, it's like getting together for uh, coffee from across the uh, across the country. Yeah, literally, <laughs> all the way across the country. Yeah, no. Well, uh, I think I think we got to do a follow up when I get. I'm going to be coming home for Christmas, so we should definitely. I'll be home for a bit, so we should definitely go out and grab a coffee somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we can go to Dickford's. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, what's, what's down there now at Denny's? <laughs> it is a Denny's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, <laughs> that's what Dickford's was. It was Denny's for pretty much for, for slummy uh, South South Mass kids <laughs> there's a podcast and i can't remember the name of the of the podcast but it, the epi- name of the episode was um was something uh it was uh, no staten island scumbaggery or something like that and <laughs> literally it was just about the conversations that we had about like being kids from that area that yeah. like, we were latchkey kids we came home from school there was no social media there was no yep. cell phones yeah no parents around that. so it's like yep. that's so we have that in common that we're sort of like <laughs> yeah same. oh yeah totally same same upbringing absolutely yeah. <laughs> same exact thing <laughs> right right all right so yeah thanks man thanks for doing this thank you uh for talking to me mm. oh dude anytime. and i really appreciate it thanks dude big thank you to Vinny for taking the time to talk to me uh it was nice getting to talk to him face to face it's been a very long time it was nice catching up with him and uh reminiscing on <laughs> some of the uh, old times. I've followed his career for a while now, and uh, I hope you do as well. I hope you will follow if you don't already follow him. You know, pay attention to Womp Stomp Films. I think he's got a good vision for where it's all going to go, and I know it's going to be good. I look forward to seeing his work in the future uh, and seeing what he's got next. I know it's going to be good. You know it is. <laughs> so thank you to Vinny. Go check out Womp Stomp Films and check out what they what they've made already and follow them to find out what they're making next, you know? It's going to be good. It's going to be good stuff. Uh thank you for listening today. Make sure to check out the Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Join the Facebook group. Go to oddpeoplepodcast.com for info about the show and to buy merchandise at the Odd Shop. I hope you tune in next time. Stay creative, stay inspired, and as always, stay odd.